listening to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast with Aaron Hale and Mike Ferrier as your hosts. Subscribe to the podcast at canadianstreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria. Welcome back to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast. And as I had mentioned earlier in the week, I will now post the second part of my conversation with Bruce Freeman, uh, Pastor Bruce Freeman, on New Year's Eve. And I trust you will uh, likewise be blessed by the remainder of this conversation. And we cover quite a variety of of topics, uh, looking at the atonement and what is the kingdom of God. Once again, just always blessed to talk with Bruce and just glean from his wisdom and experience as a pastor of over 30 years now. Hope you enjoy. Well, I was going to ask the, the question and, you know, kind of already touched on it, but, you know, as you think about even the, the generation ahead and, you know, maybe men my age, you know, 30 and and uh, kind of more towards the beginning of, of ministry, I suppose, you know, what are some challenges you think that we need to be aware of and, and uh, you would, you know, yeah. caution us in perhaps? Well, I think getting caught up in the culture is the big problem. You know, you see Peter arguing about it and Jude arguing about it. Um, And Jude especially, he is so abrupt because he, he wanted to write to these same people that Peter wrote to, but the, the situation had got so urgent he couldn't take time to refine his argument. And so what you have in Jude is is just a a crash course in how do you deal with these people who come in they're they're uh oh how he expresses them hmm. uh, it, it's kind of a desperation letter mm-hmm. and uh, because what happens when sin comes in it doesn't seem so bad when it comes. It didn't seem so bad when they were following after Paul, the Judaizers, and he kept correcting them, no, you can't get saved with circumcision. Uh, but they kept insisting, and Simon Magus, that magician who seems to have been showing up in tradition, you don't see his name after Acts, but in tradition, Uh, His name keeps showing up in early Gnosticism, Mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, there was uh, Ebionism, which is what Muhammad got caught up in or got Mm -hmm. sidetracked through, and Docetism was the other one. Um, Mm -hmm. And Simon Magus claimed to be Christ after Jesus had gone back to heaven. He said he is now the Christ and he could do magic tricks and so people believed him Hmm. so what I think as MacArthur says that the biggest hazard for churches today is the charismatic movement we've got a secret insight and we know going back to so-called prophecy and and 
women preachers, and yeah. this is the new age. Um, mm-hmm. And Jude sees that, mm-hmm. and he's just so desperate that he get the message across to these same people Peter wrote to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then John comes along almost 40 years later with his letters, First and Second John, but he's writing to the same people about the same problem that is now 40 years more down the road and Mm. it's just gotten worse and then you start to read church history and see how all these early guys polycarp Irenaeus, um, and each one is getting a little further from the truth until by the time you come to 300 um You've got full-blown Catholicism, church and state combined in Constantine. Mm -hmm. And from there on, by the time you get to 400, what Jude sees, Peter sees, Paul sees, and John sees is full-blown Dark Ages. Mm. And just let a Baptist stick his head up and he's dead right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... That's that's what happened for one nine hundred years, dark ages. And it isn't that truth wasn't there occasionally. It's just that every time they showed up, they killed them. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a chance. Um, so by the time Calvin and Luther um, were able to make their statement, Anabaptists and Baptists in whatever name they wore at the time, had paved the way and just kept sticking to it. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at Central Europe, Poland and even up bordering Russia, there were Baptists who had evaded the killing machine of the the Catholic system, Mm -hmm. who were out to kill, kill, kill. And we've got the same thing today in the Arabs, the ISIS, radical Islam, and this new pope. He is one rascal. He's one with those who supported Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin during the war. It's the same thing all over again. Who is Christ? And that's what this generation is going to have to really cling to, is who is Christ. Uh, You cannot become a child of God by anything other than by faith. And you have to accept this scripture as the word of God. There is no other word. And... uh, you know, you live and die on this word. Mm-hmm. And that's what really we're fighting about. Yeah. Uh, but we must do it graciously, persistently, uh, lovingly, which isn't always easy. Mm-hmm. But in a sense, we have to do it vehemently because this is a matter of life and death. Yeah. You get it wrong. There's no option. You're wrong. You're out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Paul would tell Timothy to guard your teaching and, and doctrine, for by doing so you save not only yourselves but your hearers, your hearers as well. And you know, we, especially in the position of teaching, you know, to to have that sense of weightiness to what what we're doing with with fear and trembling, you know, praying that God would open blind eyes and keep us from from error and. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if um you know, something I've been I've been kind of trying to understand more are the various views of of uh of end times, but you know, you you get into a whole thing there. But I you know, from what I understand, you know, the, the, the post millennial view thinks it's gonna get better that the gospel will continue to permeate, you know, all facets of society and every nation and until till Christ's return and and whereas the other two positions generally speaking would say that it's it's going to progressively get darker and darker with with a remnant remaining and then Christ will break in you know do you, do you think it's do you think it's going to get better uh, globally speaking or or continue to the darkness to uh to continue to to spread i suppose uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, at this point, I'm not daring to make any proclamation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when it comes to the end times, uh, what I did, and I did this deliberately and maybe mistakenly, but all my influential years in mission before we came to Terrace, uh, because Dad and the Mission Church, there was no Plymouth Brethren Assembly in Mission. So the Plymouth Brethren attended Mission Baptist Church. And that was the only fellowship Dad had in Langley before he moved to Terrace, or to Mission, so that in many ways his thought patterns followed them. but all we ever heard, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, in the Bible class, not from the pulpit, but in the Bible class, when is Christ returning? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Uh, pre-trib rapture, over yeah. and over. Yeah. And I thought, I am not even going to look at that ever again in my life. <laughs> Except that after we came to Terrace, Dad, you know, I was teaching one Sunday and talking about the kingdom of God that is here now. Um, And he asked me, he said, why do you talk like the kingdom of God is here? Because the kingdom of God isn't going to come until Jesus returns. Mm -hmm. But I said, Dad, it says right here that Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was there then because the king was there. Right. And when I was reading, again, I've gone back over our, well, I haven't thoroughly gone back over it yet, but what I've been doing is go back over what we were taught in college by our history professor, and I I was reading, and this is Newman, and he was professor of history 
at McMaster University in 1900. Hmm. And he wrote this manual of church history. And this is what he said on page 72, Jesus' conception of his life work. As already suggested, consciousness of Messiahship was present at the baptism and became clear and definite in connection with the temptation. The task he assumed was the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, a kingdom not of this world that comes not with observation, that is within believers, that is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which, though exceedingly small, becomes a tree. And... uh, He said, it's a pearl of great price for which all of one's possessions are no more than a fair equivalent. He made it clear from the beginning that he could not carry out the messianic program of current Jewish thought. His kingdom was to have no officers, no headquarters, no political features, no worldly associations. It was to be a spiritual kingdom whose membership was to consist of individuals one to belief in his divine personality and mission brought into loving obedience to his will united with him spiritually in his plans and purposes ready to take up their crosses and follow him ready to suffer obloquy the breaking up of all social and family ties and death itself for his sake whose relationship to him he declared to be that of the branches to the vine And who should abide in him as he in them? His disciples were to be born anew, or from above. That is, anothen, which Jesus said to Nicodemus. A complete transformation of the individual character and life was to be a condition of entrance into his kingdom. And then he goes on to talk about, um, not as clearly as I would have hoped, but that was his plan to form uh, a kingdom within the kingdoms of -hmm. the world, Mm -hmm. uh, a spiritual kingdom, and then it was to be gathered into congregations, which the King James Version fouled up with the word church, Mm. which in the Catholic organization meant this overriding religious organization with a pope at the top Mm -hmm. and... um, all these cardinals and bishops and this hierarchical organization. And the Anglicans did the same, only they changed the Pope to the Archbishop or the King then, then the Archbishop. And Luther to a degree and Calvin to a degree followed the same general plan, not as serious, but they all missed the point of the congregation where Christ is the head Mm -hmm. and the pastor is the under-shepherd, and Mm -hmm. that's the shock troops of the kingdom of God. Wherever you find one of these cells with regenerate people assembled together with a shepherd to lead them and Christ as their head, you will find the kingdom of God expanding. But it's to be not insidiously, but quietly in the world. Mm, wow. And that's what happened all through the Dark Ages. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> it had spread all through Central Europe and up into Russia. And everywhere the Catholics were, they killed them off, kill them off. And then the Lutherans did the same thing. Calvin 
did the same thing. Um, And then a better way to take care of them is introduce false doctrine. Yeah, seduce them into becoming like the the world. world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so helpful. I think, you know, I've been studying, doing a little bit of speaking on the seven churches in Revelation, and every time I look at it, it strikes me so much how when Christ uh, gives John the vision, he sees the seven lampstands and, and one walking among the lampstands, uh, who is Christ. And, and so it strikes me how Christ walks among his lampstands at, in a way that he does not walk, you know, in the House of Commons or in Hollywood. There, there's, a, there's a unique relationship to the seven churches that Christ teaches um, that, that I, don't, I don't find, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus ever teaching that he has that type of relationship uh, in, in government rule, you know, or yes. or any secular organization. It's the church, the churches, mm-hmm. the seven churches individually, and and for that reason, he also um, judges them in a way that he doesn't. You know, judgment begins at the household of God, and mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that's so helpful because. Yeah. There's a but bit you, of a. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, it's a bit of a movement, I suppose, happening called theonomy, and basically it's the premise that you know we should be seeking to reinstitute the civil mosaic law into society. That we should be looking to basically permeate uh, all all forms of government and and everything with Christian uh, morals and values, and they would see Constantine's, uh, you know, position and, and, and his influence through there as a good thing, you know. So that would probably be a very different than definition of what the kingdom of God is, you know. Yeah, totally different. You see, Jesus set out, he said, the law and the prophets were until John. Hmm. Yeah. That ended when John yeah. the Baptist came. Now is the gospel of the kingdom of God preached. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you come to Matthew 16, he says, Now I will build my congregation, my church. Yeah. So he had already established, he had his 12 apostles, and he had 70 evangelists trained to go out in Israel and the world. And once he had them trained... Now I will start my churches who will be pastored by the apostles and trained under shepherds who will take these people who have been born again by the evangelists, the 70, who spread through all the known world. Mm. And I'm telling you, it's, it's pretty amazing what those guys did. And every one of them was killed. Hmm. If any of the apostles escaped martyrdom, it might have been John. But all the rest were martyred for their faith. Hmm. And uh, we want the easy life. Right. And we wonder why we uh, see so little... Change in, in power of God, you know, when we are so unwilling to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, you know, we yeah. Yeah. we don't want to offend our neighbor because they they might not talk to us anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And when those men literally 
lay their life down. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think we need a wake up call when it comes to um, what it means to be a disciple, right? It means to come and die, and, and sometimes yeah. literally yeah. and and always um, spiritually, you know, our old man. So, wow, well, that's good. I yeah, that's helpful a lot to just continue to hold up a high view of, of the church and um you know it's not it's not there's no plan B, you know. I think people no, think that well right. if the church fails then well maybe we'll just um start some good parachurch ministries or something. But yeah. the yeah. church will he will build um And really the parachurch is contra to the kingdom of God. I mean, that is not part of God's plan. Mm. Um, It is churches led by pastors bringing people into the kingdom and by the spreading of the gospel, the Mm. atoning, the value of the atonement adheres, I don't know if that's the right word, adheres, but it it spreads to the unregenerate as God's people understand what Christ has done for them. Um, and, and that idea is in the word justification. Uh, when when you read Vine's definition of justification, you'll see in the two words that are used, well, three actually, um, you you'll see the the refinement of meanings mm-hmm. so that the atonement is for all men and especially for those who believe said paul to timothy mm-hmm. in first timothy 4:10 so there there is what jesus did he established a basis for everyone who could come if they would what the acronym limited atonement does is put a guilt trip on God for limiting who can come into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. What the the scriptures are saying is that man is so wicked in his nature, he is so determined that he will not come mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he cannot come and Satan ensures he can't come. Mm-hmm. So he's got these, the will and the hurdle and then Satan on top of it. So there isn't a hope in the world yeah. that any man will come to faith unless God speaks to his conscience mm-hmm. and opens yeah. his mind. Yeah. It's not God who's limited it. It's man by his sin nature has limited it. Yes. And he said, yeah. we won't have this man rule over us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see wrong with that statement. Yeah. Now, if you explain it, that's fine, except mm-hmm. it still does not explain the massive advantage of the atonement, not just for mankind generally, because if we will obey, then God will, as we pray for those who have the rule over us, those who are our neighbors, those whom we see being influenced by the gospel, God works in their lives to mitigate the seriousness of what they would do if we were not there. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the atonement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you can't take that away. That's right. So um, it's not a general atonement or a universal atonement. It is that, and Hodge explains this too in his theology, as he explains the Westminster Statement of Faith. And what Boyce has done in his abstract of theology is give a better, as Boyce says it, well, here, here's what Hodge says. The design of Christ in dying was to affect what he actually does effect in the result. First, incidentally, to remove the legal impediments out of the way of all men and render the salvation of every hearer of the gospel objectively possible so that each one has a right to appropriate it at will to impetrate, and impetrate means to obtain by entreaty, temporal blessings for all and the means of grace for all to whom they are providentially supplied. But secondly, and specifically, his design was to impetrate the actual salvation of his own people in all the means, conditions, and stages of it and render it infallibly certain. This last from the Nature of the case must have been his real motive. After the manner of the Augustinian schoolmen, Calvin on 1 John 2 2 says, Christ died sufficiently for all, but efficiently only for the elect. What Boyce says, the founding president of Southern Seminary, and it's still their statement of faith, <clears throat> another statement upon this subject may prove more satisfactory although it embraces no more than is actually implied in the above extract from Dr. Hodge. It has only the advantage of recognizing more explicitly the relation of the atoning work of Christ, both to the world and to the elect, a relation clearly indicated to be such that he can be called in some general sense the Savior of all men, though he bears this relation more especially to those who believe. The statement suggested in 1 Timothy 4.10 is that while for the elect he made an actual atonement by which they were actually reconciled to God and because of which are made the subjects of the special divine grace by which they become believers in Christ and are justified through him, Christ at the same time and in the same work wrought out a means of reconciliation for all men which removed every legal obstacle to their salvation upon their acceptance of the same conditions upon which the salvation is given to the elect. Hmm. And then he gives more points in regard to that. But that's what Boyce has done in his extract, uh, abstract of theology, which is printed by the Founders Movement. And, okay. uh, yeah. um, it's available. Um, yeah. And it's tedious reading. Yeah. <laughs> All the good stuff is. <laughs> but, you know, I searched this out, mm. and um, therefore there's one, two, three, four, five, six points that grow out of that. But that, to me, is what justification is. And Jesus died sufficiently and and what does he call it? Uh, 
Hodge calls it specifically for the elect, incidentally for the world. Uh, I don't know that incidentally would be quite the right word, but uh, that's what Hodge said anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and both like... Boys and John R. Broadus were trained under Bo- under Hodge. Oh, okay. Oh. That they were the ones who started Southern Seminary. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow! I didn't realize yeah. that connection to Hodge was. Yeah. 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 It seems like as soon as you, you know, the 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 atonement has a variety of elements in it, you know, because. Like you say, there is the effectual atoning work for the elect, but then there's also, um, like you said, the fact that any any of mankind would experience any of God's mercy or patience or you know even an opportunity to repent has to come through the atonement, because justice would demand instant judgment upon Adam and Eve the moment they sinned. So Christ and His atonement would have accomplished all of that, and even uh, we talked you know, before about how even creation itself will be caught up in, in the glorification of of the sons of God and that too would have had to been purchased by Christ in the atonement. And so I guess we to keep a to keep a, a biblical um perspective on all that all that the atonement entails, you know, because it yeah, perhaps we're tempted to just take one element and, and try to pull it out and, and use that and I, I've never really liked the title "Limited Atonement" either, so I think it's too misleading. <laughs> well, you know, it, it sounds good when you first hear it, mm. until you start to analyze it. Oh, yeah, oh, that isn't right. And it definitely doesn't sound good if you're Arminian. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> They're just and uh, on those who practice uh, infant sprinkling, mm-hmm. but to me. That is a deliberate attempt to satisfy what they see in churches, which is a mixed multitude. They think, oh, that's what Jesus wanted, was churches full of saved and unsaved. Hmm. No, 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 no. That's what's happened, but you don't deliberately produce unregenerate members. Yeah, yeah. That's what infant sprinkling does. It's a deliberate thing. Right, and they link it to circumcision in the old covenant, but the new covenant is not is not the same in that it's not simply an outward thing. It's the the members of the new covenant are those who have had the circumcision of the heart, and so yeah, I agree. I don't see why would you knowing that that your children are not regenerate because they have no cognitive ability to even perceive the gospel, you then deem them as covenant members in the new covenant. You know, I I think they're not the same as pagan children in that they will have exposure to the gospel. They will be part of, they should be part of a covenant community um, and and have that that element of being in the covenant, you know, um, I suppose similar to a a Jewish child, but, but they're still not part of the new covenant um at its core until they too are born uh, born from above and uh, baptized on profession of faith so i don't think they understand the book of hebrews at all you know what uh, paul has done in that book is 
See, the, the whole Old Testament system is kaput. It's mm-hmm. over and abolished. Mm-hmm. And as long as the temple stood in Jerusalem, that Old Testament system still was locked into the minds of the Jewish mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it became imperative that the temple in Jerusalem must be destroyed, not just burned, but it had to be totally demolished. Mm-hmm. And that's what Titus did in 70. Uh, Paul makes that point. It has to happen as long as the temple stands. It is a hurdle to coming to faith over coming by the law. And so when you understand what Paul is saying in um, Hebrews, he's saying the the law is kaput, the sacrificial system, the old system is kaput. Now we have a better high priest, we have a better sacrifice, we have a better place of meeting. Everything about this new covenant is better because we've abolished the old totally. All the rules, the seventh-day rules, the, uh, you name it, mm-hmm. the, it's all kaput. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a new covenant. Yeah. And the only things we celebrate, the only feast, is the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very simple, but uh, it's been made very complicated. Yeah, That's, Yeah, I think that is... On the surface, it's like you wonder where, why the the difference, and I think that's exactly where it comes to is your understanding of the covenants and and you know the 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 newness of the new covenant. While it's still part of, not you know, Hebrews thirteen calls it the eternal covenant. So I mean, in that sense, it's actually older than the old, the old covenant of Moses because it was. It was preordained by God, you know, even before the foundations of the world were told the Lamb was slain. So in the plan of God, so in that sense, the new covenant really precedes even the Mosaic covenant. Um, And, you know, the point is made that Abraham came to faith before he was circumcised. He was justified before he was circumcised. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that... I, I don't know why... Well, we are told why God instituted the law, because it made sin more sinful. It Mm -hmm. defined what sin was, but those before the law had a law. They had the moral law imprinted on their hearts, just like everybody else has. Mm -hmm. Romans 2.14, the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature the law, because it's imprinted on the heart. Mm -hmm. So the atheist who tries to prove there is no God is trying to convince himself that God doesn't exist, which he knows he does. So the foolishness, the fool has said in his heart there is no God when he knows very well there is. And so God never tries to prove his existence because everybody knows he exists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And my cousin, who kept asking me, how is it that everywhere I go in the world, every people in every land, have they worship God? Is it in the DNA? No, it's in the nature. It's in the instinct. That's what mm-hmm. Jude said, and that's what Peter said. 
Yeah. Man does, by his nature, know there is a God. Yeah. Yeah, as image bearers, we instinctively know there, there must be a God. Uh, yeah. There is a God who has made us and who has given us purpose. In him, our purpose is found. So, I mean, we have this sense of wandering until we we come to him. Um, yeah. 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 I think you have the ability to state things better than I do. No, I uh, no, I like hearing you. <laughs> I just um I can't remember all the theological terms, so I just <laughs> <laughs> And that but, uh, really is what we have to do to interpret it to the people. Hmm. Um you know, if you're going to read Boyce, you need a theological dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because there's words that Webster doesn't have. Mm. And Webster was a Baptist. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't have it. In, I've got two or three of Webster's dictionaries, but mm. the, these words aren't in that. Yeah. And I, I suspect that maybe some of these words have been invented since these dictionaries were made to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they seem to be constantly inventing new ones. <laughs> I guess I they think... base them off some of the Latin words and stuff too. Or... Yeah. 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 But... <laughs> all right. Well, I shouldn't tie you up all afternoon. I know you. Yeah, I don't know if I've given you what you were hoping for. Oh no, that's great, Bruce. I I really appreciate your time and and yeah. uh, I think that's great. But I'll send you. A, I'll email you a link so you can just click on it and then uh, okay. you can have it. Now, my wife will have to do it because I don't even have anything to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so married to my books. Oh, that's a good thing, then. And papers everywhere, and I keep printing and garbaging and printing and writing and garbaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a very confused office. I mean, extremely <laughs> confused office. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we listened to, um, I guess it was a one of the historians from Sproul's church, uh, Stephen Nichols, but he went through kind of the Reformation and talked about different people and I think one of my favorite was Jonathan Edwards because he said, because paper was quite scarce, he would use absolutely anything to write on. And uh, even if they would post like a notice in town or something of an event, after the event happened, he would go and take that down and and use it for writing. And so he has some of his sermon notes and stuff. It's just tiny little writing all over this, uh, you know, poster. And uh, it's amazing, I think. There is something to be said for paper and pen and tangible yeah, right. uh, paper. Uh, Ben's that way very much. He uh, he likes to have a, a, a book in his hand. And <laughs> well, there's something about it. I know where I go to find a comment on something. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I know that Robertson, in his word pictures, is very limited in what, she, what he covers. Mm-hmm. Reinecker... He deals with the, um, what does he call it, the uh, linguistic key to the New Testament. So he takes another approach to the same text. And then I have West, who gives an interpretation to the Greek New Testament. So uh, I'm somewhat 
disenchanted with Robertson because I think he has deliberately changed some things. And um, I showed it to Chris and Zach and Kevin St. John when we were in Cochrane, mm-hmm. who then I showed it to Matt Slick. Uh, what Robertson did, he deliberately changed what Paul said. He said, I don't know why he said it that way, but then he went on to, uh, because Paul said in Ephesians two twenty one that each several body is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And that's in the Canterbury Revision and in the American Standard Version. And I have the American Standard Version. And that's what it says. But then you come back to the King James, which says, no, the whole body is growing into. So you've got to have the universal church to make it work. Oh, yeah. And that's where Robertson deliberately changed it. Hmm. And I showed that to Chris and to Matt Slick. And uh, they both insisted, no, that Robertson's right. And then Hmm. Chris saw, no, that's not right from Hmm. the Greek. Well, I'm married to what somebody else does because I don't know Greek that well. Right, yeah, I know what you mean. So what I'm locked into doing is comparing each writer with each other to say, well, why do you say this? And then I have uh, 12 books on uh, biographies of 12 Southern Baptist people. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Robertson, one is B.H. Carroll, there's Broadus and several others. Um, but... When I read about Robertson, while he was extremely exact with his students, um, he was almost implacable that if he said something, it was right and nobody would change it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's an arrogance of the (laughs) know-it-alls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is highly educated, recognized by all as one of the premium Greek scholars. Mm-hmm. But he's still human. Yeah, that's right. He's still, yeah. still fallible. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it was deliberate. Wow. Not that he intended to change it. It's just that he was so fixed with the universal church that there is not even the word of God that will mm-hmm. change him on that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we can come to. Mm-hmm. It's appalling, but we do. Anyway, I guess I've talked myself too long here. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, I I do appreciate your time, and I'll, I'll yeah. look forward to further discussions. And yeah, and I hope sounds great. Thank you for tuning in to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or perhaps a podcast suggestion or topic, visit us online at canadianstreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria.